0: Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey
1: there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today. I'm here with my amazing guest, Heather Pierce Campbell, and she is the most adorable and sweet lawyer you will ever find on the entire planet. So thank you very much, (laughs) Heather, for coming and being here with us today. She is also a tiger in the law field, so you're going to find out every reason why you're going to want to work
0: with Heather. Oh, welcome. Thank you, Michelle. So good to be here. I'm laughing because people are like, hmm, adorable and lawyer. That doesn't go together well for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Like, that's not usually what people want.
1: <laughs> it should be what people want. <laughs> Let me tell you, if I had a couple of lawyers that were actually fun and entertaining to deal with and confident and capable like you are, trust me, my past would a little easier. Before. Oh, yeah. And You know, you you can be fierce and, you know, all that lawyer stuff Mm. (laughs) with the other side, just not with my side.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. I get it. Totally get it.
1: Awesome. (laughs) So give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and how you got to be doing what you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm based in Seattle. I've been practicing law here for 18 years now, um, about five years ago. So a ways into my journey. I, I just realized, and I'd been largely serving people in business and in real estate, um, but I realized there was a whole segment of the traditional, um, actually of the small business marketplace that was not served by traditional law. And so our legal system, and I've been, I would say a bit of a creative person within the legal system anyways, like I've never been a super traditional fit. There's a lot I love about it and there's a lot that um, does not serve the market marketplace well. So about five years ago, I set out to really create a, a way to serve the people that I wanted to work with and was already working with, but in a, in a way that was entirely different than the traditional legal model setup. And so that's where I created my second business, the Legal Website Warrior, which is really like an online information and education business um, designed to really meet a specific need in the marketplace.
1: Awesome. And what would that marketplace be?
0: Yes. So what I call the online information entrepreneurs, and these are usually coaches, consultants, speakers, authors, online educators and experts. they're folks, and they can be other things, but really similarly aligned to that, their business models largely do the same things, right? So their whole um, online platform, their, the way that they design their services, everything is really based around delivering information, usually their own body of work in a variety of ways. And so they really have to learn how to think about their business from the standpoint of being an information publisher. Usually a service provider, um, they're they're putting their information, their intellectual property, and their services out into the world in um, really similar ways across all of those businesses. But they just need to understand what it takes to protect all of the various components that they're that they're doing.
1: Honest. Awesome. And I loved having this conversation with you because once upon a time, I thought it was just the intellectual property side mm-hmm. or what I'm going to call IP for the rest of this conversation. It just mm-hmm. takes too long saying. Right. <laughs> um, but it was like, oh, I put my stuff out there and somebody's going to rip it off. Somebody's going to copy uh-huh. it. Somebody's going to do whatever. And then I finally kind of got over it and went, okay, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But when we were talking, it's so much more than that. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, the binding contracts and what, uh, you know, What you're obligated to what you're not obligated to what people know they're getting into and what they don't you know for those of you who don't know that are listening on this um, i'm very canadian and my business up until i met heather was uh, a handshake and a nod and uh oh we're doing business right okay great so we would take credit card information we'd have year-long contracts people are paying us tens you know forty a hundred thousand dollars a year without any contracts in place So uh, I know that's a substantially different (laughs) way of doing business in the States, and it's not so much that I don't trust people anymore, but there's so much more to it. So give us an idea of kind of what is it, the difference between doing um, business online versus Mm -hmm. a retail outlet that every transaction is kind of in person and.
0: That's a great question. Um, So, I mean, one, I want to point out that people can do business like that, right? Business on a handshake. Like, I'm not a big sky is falling person. And like, that would probably be my personal preference most of the time, right? And so, um, I start with that because a lot of people get really fearful about like, what, I have to do all of this at once? Or it feels really hard and scary to suddenly be putting all of this support in place. But really, there's a couple ways that I approach it. And one um, is usually I recommend people start with protecting what I call protecting your money maker. Wherever you're making the most money, start there. Um, the thing about the online world and the question that you asked, like, what's the difference between being online and, you know, running merchant, I mean, running cards as a merchant, like in person, it's a big difference. Like you and I sitting across from each other, like looking each other in the face and having, you know, a transaction get processed there on the spot, there's a lot less likelihood that there's going to be a refund that the customer is going to try to cause you some problems in your business or wiggle out of it, largely because there's often somewhat of a relationship there, even if it's a short-term, you know, in-person relationship. But online, it's really interesting how when you remove that in-person interaction, which doesn't always happen in line. I know plenty of people, including yourself, that are still building relationships online and people know you, but particularly in those instances where you're not, or people have an online sales funnel and they can just check out and buy a digital course or buy something without really having any human interaction, there is a lot more risk. The percentage of a chargeback request or of somebody seeking a refund is much, much higher, and particularly once you go international it gets even higher, right? So, um, the risk is there and it's just, there's that one step of like personal relationship removal and people tend to get funny about finances sometimes and, you know, decide to do something that they wouldn't do if they had had an in-person relationship or interaction with you.
1: Right. Well, and I know that there's a huge cultural difference as well. And I mean, I've noticed it even in, as weird as it sounds, doing business in the commonwealth so if i'm Mm -hmm. doing business in the uk or australia or south america new zealand there's still a lot of cultural differences you get outside Mm -hmm. of that (laughs) it's like oh my god who knew and it's it's not that people are being rude or obnoxious or whatever it's just a different way of doing business and the way that they think of that transaction that happens and especially the difference between in person versus digital
0: That's right. And I mean, and the other thing that happens that is really just a, you know, a byproduct of the amount of business that we do online is that people forget they run something on their card. And like if, if, if you've ever seen a merchant account come up, like in your credit card statement where you're, you can't connect the dots, you're like, wait, who is this? What did, what did I buy? What is that? I totally didn't do this charge, you know, (laughs) and you're calling your credit card company and then you actually learn what it is. So there's plenty of that that happens where people just do a high volume of business or online shopping or whatever. And sometimes they just don't know what it is that they're looking at when it comes to reviewing a credit card statement or their spouse doesn't, or you know what I mean? And so a chargeback request can be initiated in that way as well. But um, yeah, there's a variety of reasons why online stuff is typically way more problematic than in-person business.
1: Absolutely. And from a knowing full well that our audience here is all business people, you'll mm-hmm. <laughs> fully appreciate that Wouldn't be a normal conversation I'd have with people. But when we're setting up companies digitally, they will mm-hmm. often go, we need like, if we're going to take transactions and make purchases online, we need to have your business number. We need to have your banking information. We need to have like, what's your legal business name? Yadababa. And when it shows up as company ab 3 ABC one, two, three, it's like, and then you're operating under a different operating handle and the client's going like, what is that? (laughs) Who is doing things? And especially as a Canadian corporation, if if they're doing service in the States and they show up as one, two, three, but they're operating as a named company. And then all of a sudden they get their bill and it's like something in Canada, like what? Yes. (laughs) Super important while setting it up to make sure that there's that clarity. I've even had people that say they've changed their their name on their merchant account to have their website or something so that when people look it up, they go, oh yeah, I'm right, okay. I'm right.
0: That's right. That's totally right. And it's what I regularly recommend is that people go examine that, you know, whenever you're setting up your your payment processing system, you go examine exactly what's in that. And it's not a lot of space. So, you kind of have to be careful with what you put in there so that it's recognizable yeah yeah, yeah, that one thing can cause people a lot of a lot of troubles well
1: what's one of the things that people are most kind of gobsmacked by and going oh my god i never knew
0: oh goodness where to begin there's a lot (laughs) honestly um (laughs) you know one of the funny things that i've heard a lot of recently is when I teach about what you need to be online. So for example, if you're a really legitimate business and you're generally, there's three core functions that you're doing online. You're publishing information, right? You're sharing information or, um, you know, tips, articles, blogs, videos, it really can be in any format. Sharing information in a variety of ways, as essentially an online publisher, you need website terms and conditions, right, to do that function because you're protecting yourself from the liability that comes along with giving information or advice that people could rely on. And then if you're collecting information, right, you should have a privacy policy. Absolutely, right now in current conditions and depending on where your business operates and where your people are opting in from, you really shouldn't be doing anything online without a privacy policy. And then the final thing is terms of purchase for anything that you're selling. So those are terms that are specific to the sale, whether it's online, digital downloads, courses, et cetera, or something delivered live. But what I see is people trying to wiggle out of like, oh, well, you know, I'm not really doing those things. I just have a one page, you know, landing page. Like I don't really have a website that does all that fancy stuff. I just do this really simple thing, right? But you look at any one page landing page and you're like, hmm, you're Name, sharing a email, lot of information. And You're card. collecting, right? <laughs> like it's doing all of the same functions. Generally, like all of those, right? Collecting oh. information, selling. It, like it does. It's the same. It's a one-page website. And so, what people don't understand is that they need the same level of protection, really, regardless of the size of their online real estate. So that can be kind of a surprise for a lot of people when they tend to want to like minimize what they're doing. Hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and one of the biggest kind of shockers I saw was people don't realize that when they're doing affiliate marketing, that somebody is essentially trusting you, but then they're going to a third party place and giving them their information. And, and they don't know that they're giving a third party place Mm. information. It's like, okay, you're an affiliate marketer, dude. Like that's what you do. (laughs) You shouldn't be telling your audience that, Hey, you know, we're suggesting that you know, this product or service or whatever is great. and We're going to be sending you and redirecting you to somebody else's page.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting the affiliate world and there's a kind of a variety of ways that people work in that world. Usually it's what you're saying, right? They're just sharing some information. They're providing their own link. It will redirect somebody, but um, more and more consumers are understanding what the affiliate relationship is, but They only understand that that's happening if somebody makes a proper disclosure. Like, hey, this is an affiliate link, right? I'm just sharing the information. It's, you know, the company's being run by my friend, Bob, or whatever. Um, But it's really important. The disclosure piece of it is really important. And then from the primary business perspective, if you are implementing an affiliate program, people are often shocked to learn that any mistakes that their affiliate makes in their marketing of their services, right? Their own services or their products or whatever, they're liable for. So if somebody's out there running around on behalf of your business saying things that you can't say in the marketplace, violating, you know, rules of the FTC or anything else, the truth and advertising language requirements, you're on the hook for it. And if, if one of your affiliates is snagging somebody else's web copy or images off the internet to help facilitate the sale of your stuff, which people are doing every day, you're on the hook for that, including potential copyright violations, like big-time, big-time problems.
1: So, give us an example of, um, if you can, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and change names and whatever you need to do. <laughs> names <laughs> and it's identities. A very general story of something that has happened that was like, wow, like,
0: yeah. So known. a. Co- Totally. A couple of scenarios and one ties right into what we're talking about with the affiliate stuff. I got contacted by a guy who um, was on the receiving end of a copyright infringement lawsuit and what had happened is that one of his affiliates from around the world who he did not even personally no. And this is one of the problems that people, uh, one of the mistakes people make in their affiliate programs is they have just a, like an open sign-up page that they don't control, right? So they don't know who's actually signing up to become an affiliate. They have like an automated system that just allows anybody in without any vetting. This is what happened in that scenario. And so there was a woman on the other side of the world sending emails on behalf of his business. And she had taken a series of photographs off of like a health and wellness website, like from some other photographer that was not working for his company and used those in a series of social media posts, email messages, right? And so the um, owner of that, of those images found out and um, brought a lawsuit against him, Mm -hmm. right? The owner of the yeah the main business and so and you know he had the same reaction a lot of people have at first which is like well i didn't know this was happening i mean i didn't give off authorization for this like i didn't do it it was like yes but any affiliate out there running around doing any kind of advertising for your business you're responsible for so that was a big eye-opener for him um there was another scenario where two business partners parted ways and they didn't. They they forgot to basically take care of some of their online assets in the the resolution of that. You know, the I should say the dissolution of that partnership. Right. And they had an old program that still existed somewhere online that they had not assigned ownership of. And so what happened is that an affiliate who um, was running through ClickBank, right, the big yep. Click, um, was continuing to share the link to their old program, mm-hmm. and I think did it through LinkedIn, spammed a bunch of people through LinkedIn with their old program. Anyways, they ended up, so it was not only an affiliate problem, like an affiliate management problem, but then there were also violations of the CAN Spam Act, which is the US you know federal law against spam. And so they ended up, both of them being dragged into, and they were no longer business partners, being dragged into a lawsuit to the tune of like hundreds of thousands of dollars because one email sent in violation of the Can Spam Act can subject you to a $16,000 penalty. So you take some of those affiliates that have a whole campaign going, you know, where it's 10 or 12 or 15 emails or messages to 20,000 people inside of LinkedIn at a time, like you're in big trouble in a hurry.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so there's a lot going on in that second scenario, but you know, people just don't think about some of that stuff until it's up in their face.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I can believe that because part of it is you think, Oh, everybody does business the same way I do.
0: Right. Like, no, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and just because well,
1: you don't know and somebody else is doing doesn't mean, you know, ignorance of the law. That well.
0: That's right. And it's, it's reflective. I mean, I kind of joke, even though it's not funny that the online world is truly the wild west of business and the pace of business that can happen in that space. Um, I mean, it can move really fast, which is an advantage and also a detriment to people who don't pay attention to the rules.
1: Right. So what do you usually teach people when you're, um, when you're working with them? Because I know a lot of people think, oh, you're online, legal. That's mm-hmm. just templates and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that's totally not you at all. You are yeah. awesome and amazing. So tell them about your awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's
0: kind of the hook. The online part is kind of the hook, right? So even my branding, the legal website warrior. A lot of people end up finding me because they have concerns about the online portion of their business. They're just getting to, ready to launch a new website or a course, or they did do that and somebody's already ripped it off or they're having some problems, right? So there's various ways that people find me, but the online portion is just, um, I mean, the online part is really just a portion of what I cover with entrepreneurs. So I have a framework where I teach people, um, you know, a, a whole way, like a whole path it's called my Five Bucket Framework for Business Protection. And it's really a simplified framework to teach people like where to look for their legal protections in business. And the good part about that framework is it really applies to any business, no matter what you're doing, even if you're online or offline, um, you need to be thinking about protections from the same um, perspective. And so, you know, we talk about business structures, business entities, like have you set up your business the right way? Because I'm not sure in Canada, but in the US, like 60% of small businesses are sole proprietors. They don't even take the step of setting up a separate legal entity. Right to operate their business from. And so there's a lot of risk if you stay in that place. So we cover everything from business entities and setting up a business structure, a formal business structure to contracts, which is the second bucket, which is a really big bucket. That's where a lot of my online work protecting online businesses falls into, right? All these legal documents that help protect our online platforms. Um, It's also how you protect some of your offline services, your primary client service agreements, you know, your consulting or coaching contracts, your workshop releases, like whatever way you deliver your work. Maybe you're a speaker, you should have a standard speaking agreement in place. So, That's a big bucket, depending on what people are doing in their business, you know, and when people hit the point of really growing their business, like through affiliate and JV relationships, through masterminds, through, you know, all kinds of scenarios where they're working with people and they're hiring people to support the growth of their business, those, those Agreements really, you know, the, the importance of those is taken to a new level uh, because you're really exposing a lot of your IP in the process of business growth. Um, and then the third bucket, if we're just doing a quick overview, I talk I, and I educate people about business insurance, right? And then that's not fully legal, but I get so many questions about insurance that I've just incorporated it into part of the framework so that people understand where that fits. And like a lot of people think, oh, Well, I have insurance, so I don't need this other stuff, right? Like they think it's replaceable, which is not how it works. So, you know, I do some training around that. And then the final two buckets are having an intellectual property protection plan. So we talk separately about IP because most small businesses tremendously undervalue their own IP they wait too long in the journey to address it to learn what it is to learn strategies for protecting it they you know often think that you know the strategies that are available to big businesses big businesses are not available to them or are too cost prohibitive to pursue right so there's a lot of misinformation about ip but um i teach train people about strategies for that i help them assess their existing ip as well as look at what ip is kind of coming down the works what they're currently developing Um, and then the, the final bucket is is about dispute resolution it's about having a dispute resolution strategy in place and that really just means a communication strategy right in business i mean as you know there's a lot of moving parts we have opportunities for misunderstandings and things to go wrong and, you know, if we don't have an approach about how to handle difficult conversations and tension in our business, things can go out of control quickly, depending on who's on the other side, and, you know, one of my primary goals is to keep small businesses out of litigation, right? I have a whole training around statistics and problems with litigation in the U.S., and I really want to keep businesses out of that tough spot.
1: Which is exactly what makes you totally different than any other lawyer I've ever
0: met. <laughs> <laughs> All the rest of them are
1: going, yay, quit ball. <laughs> like,
0: no, no. no <laughs> I, yeah. So, I mean, and, You know, yes and no. Like, I know plenty of good attorneys who work really hard to keep their, their people out of trouble. And I know plenty that are totally willing to step in in the middle of trouble and make lots of money helping their folks out, right? And my goal is that businesses stay in business. My goal is that, you know, entrepreneurs and, and the people that I serve, which I just think our phenomenal group of people like, I want them to do so well and to be more successful earlier in their journey so that they have stability, they have the structure and support that they need, and they stay out of some of the troubles that really have the potential to um, impact if not shut down their businesses.
1: Nice. So, peeps, if you're listening to this and you've listened to a couple of other shows, you know that these are the kind of people I bring onto the show, the ones that care more about your business than you do, and they know what you need to know. It's not, oh, well, you know, ask me a few questions, I'll answer them. It's like, you should really be asking me this, that, and the other thing, because you need to know.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome.
1: I love it. And I was thinking about it, it makes me laugh. I remember once upon a time way back when when I would write papers and we had to reference every book we read that went into the book that was written even if we had written or read the book like five years earlier Mm -hmm. but it was like oh yeah this kind of pertains to what they were saying even though it was totally changed still had to reference it I don't think I've seen anything with any references in it in the last uh, 10 years
0: (laughs) oh people still reference things you're talking about plagiarism yeah well well, just kind of in general
1: like when you Mm -hmm. create something Does anybody give credit to anybody else anymore? Is that still a thing? And do people go after you? If um, (laughs) it it is, yes,
0: I know. It is still a thing and it is a really important. I mean, and it's, it's true. This is a super relevant topic in the age of everybody being online, right? Because I mean, one of my jobs is to help my clients keep their information on their websites, right? And not have other people rip that off. And so there's services you can hire that, you know, scan the web and send you all kinds of reports if, if they see your content elsewhere. And it's interesting how like this topic, because it, you know, One of the things, so stepping back a little ways, one of the things that actually got me into law was my last year at Utah State University when I was studying business, and I had been in business and finance, I mean finance and sorry, economics, I added economics as a second major, but it just meant I was in a ton of business classes, like really long days, and I'd kind of had enough of business, but I knew I wanted more education. And so I took a business law class as part of my business curriculum, and then for my advanced writing course, I had to write a final paper and I chose legal ethics. Wow! I know, it was really interesting, but that was kind of the, I think those two things together, I got enough exposure to the legal world that I was like, hmm, this makes sense. And that's actually how I decided to go to law school. But the a lot of the issues that we face right now in online business would be totally gone if, if people really had a lo- level of personal ethics that guided them to think about like something that they might just dismiss or not think you know for more than about 30 seconds about, if they actually paused and thought like, where did this come from? did I create it? Just like if you were sitting in school and like looking over at your buddy's paper and like, you know, copying down word for word, right? We all (laughs) knew like back in the day, that's not what you do. I mean, even my son who's seven, who has special needs, we've gotten reports home when he's done that to his classmates, right? Because he's nervous and he's usually it's because he wasn't paying attention in the class to what, you know,
1: No, because that never happened. We always,
0: we always paid attention, right? But he wasn't paying attention. So then he's freaking out and he's like, I have to turn in something. So he's like, what's John doing or whatever, right? So, I mean, even then at age seven, like he's getting reports. So I'm like, you're not supposed to do that. So, I have to believe that we know this as a society and yet people in the online space just fascinate me with their willingness to just freely take other people's work. I mean it, it happens really is the Wild West. It is the Wild West and it's it is just amazing the reasons and the excuses you get from people when like I've had to, you know, send out a gazillion cease and desist and takedowns and like hey this looks like you took it from my client please take it down you know mm-hmm. it's, and the reports that I get from the service are like it's 97% the same right I can tell them exactly <laughs> what the percentage match is on the language you know 20% and,
1: change people 20% minimum
0: <laughs> oh my gosh so <laughs> this what you're talking about right here this cracks me up because that gets us in trouble don't yes. listen to that shit <laughs> no the number of times and actually it's been 10% the number of times I've heard people say like, oh, don't you just have to change 10% of the language? I'm like, no, No. I want (laughs) to know where that came from and who first said it so I can wring their neck because-
1: Just give credit where credit is due, people. It's not that hard.
0: (laughs) Right. And let's be clear that giving credit in the context of- business, of commercializing something, of creating a course or writing something that helps your business, giving credit is not enough. You have to have a license. You have to have actual written permission that you can reference, use, rely on in any way somebody else's work, right? You don't get to, because a lot of people think like, oh, well, I duplicated this portion, but I did, I did give credit, so I'm fine. No. No. That's not how it works That's either, That's not how it works in English class either. <laughs> you no. <laughs> still, you
1: still had to put that shit in your own words you Right. Straight across, take it from them and call That's it That's right. No. Yes. Yeah, so there <laughs> are
0: there so are, are still a lot of misunderstandings which continue wow. to fascinate me when I come across them, which is often. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, well, I'm down that person that said you only have to change percent. <laughs> right. If you find
0: them, please send them to or me. Please. What to me. Whatever it was. It was wrong. It's like every
1: expression that you know, eighty percent of businesses and everybody screwed them. <laughs> stat up to
0: yes, it's and true. Make shit
1: up <laughs> It's really the same quote anymore. I don't know. It's that like the game awesome.
0: of telephone. I know.
1: Awesome. So let me ask you this. So, well, first, how do people get a hold of you if they're going, "Oh my God, you're awesome. You're fantastic. I want to know more about these buckets. <laughs> What's all going on with that?" So let's. Yeah, give them what they're looking
0: for. Absolutely. So they can reach me just at my website. I've got a contact form there. If they can't remember anything else, just remember legalwebsitewarrior.com. Just how it sounds. Um, they can also email me, right? Info at com. I'm on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. Um, Facebook. Yeah, don't spam me, please. If I'm suddenly being enrolled in your newsletter, I will probably disconnect <laughs> from you. I'll, uh, whatever it's called on LinkedIn, I'll unfriend you. Yeah. <laughs> I am amazed how often that happens. Do you connect on LinkedIn?
1: I don't. I go in once a month. I add a bunch Do. of connections in. I answer some questions and then I ignore it completely. I'm, I'm a <laughs> Facebook girl. See, Facebook, sounds- I'm still kind
0: of like, what is this? How does it work? I know I'm on Facebook, but I don't utilize it. Well, LinkedIn, I'm on a lot more. It just tends to be like where a lot of my people are. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Heather Pierce Campbell and Pierce is P-E-A-R-C-E. And Campbell but, yeah. is? See, C-A- just like the soup, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. Yep. But you can find me on, you know, on, um, Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, under my name.
1: Very cool.
0: That yes. is awesome.
1: And I assume you have, um, like, there's, do you have opt-ins? Do you have a course? Do you have? Oh,
0: totally. Yes. No. if people wanted to walk through my five bucket framework, like in a short video series, um, if they go to Legal Website Warrior forward slash um, Legal Basics Bootcamp. Right. It's my little boot camp. It'll drop them into a course and they'll get a series. It's really designed to be consumed over like five days. You watch this one five minute video, go do a thing, you know, next day, I come back. So just runs them through like yeah, basic training and then asking them kind of what they have in place and helps them, you know, look at what they've already got and what might, you know, what gaps they might have.
1: It is a fantastic program, people. So, if you've heard it on podcast, if you're depending on what channel you're listening to this on, or you're seeing it, you may see the links below. If you don't see the links below and you would like to have them, just go to awarenessstrategies.com/blog, b-l-o-g, and we will have all the information there underneath this podcast. So awesome, excellent. And I do have one last question for you. So, uh, how did you know? Or sorry at what point in your life did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become a successful entrepreneur
0: <laughs> I think I was five um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> entrepreneurship started young for me like I got a I I won't call it a lecture, but maybe it was a lecture. I don't know. A talk, a serious talk from my dad at age five about the importance of basically saving money and taking care of myself, you know, and um, it's true. He, his story was that he was one of 11. They were super poor. His dad had promised if they worked on the ranch and did all this stuff, he'd pay his way to school and time came and he couldn't. So I think my dad had this like deep seated fear with his own children that you know, he never wanted them thinking he was gonna pay their way. So at age five, I started like saving every cent and asking for odd jobs. And like by first grade, I think I had a paper route by, you know, age eight or nine, I bought my first car like as an investment. Yeah, so I was a I was an early saver. And then I flipped a series car. Like, like a, a car real car, car. Dude, I yeah. I bought my first
1: set of like, um, what are those called? Uh, Hot wheels.
0: <laughs> yeah, Just
1: slightly behind you.
0: <laughs> no, but I, I only had like at the time like three hundred dollars, right? So you turns out you can buy a car with three hundred dollars, and this would have been you know in the eighties. So my dad drives up like this old car. I wanna say it was like an old Pontiac Sunbird or something, but it was terrible. It was green and ugly and so dirty and it had like perma-tilt seats and I was devastated. I bawled my little eyes out because I just thought it was the worst car ever. But he gave me this little lecture and like, you know, we'll clean it up and you can make a couple hundred dollars, like basically double your money, right? As a eight or nine year old, I was like, okay, I get this. I scrubbed that darn thing with a toothbrush and soap, like every nook and cranny, the inside of it, all weekend. It took me an entire weekend and sure enough, the next week we turned around and sold it for like $700. Nice. Yeah, so, you know. that's awesome. Yeah, so it started young, it started young for me and my dad was entrepreneurial, so he really passed along kind of that mindset. And um, so, yeah, I mean, from there, it was just another long series of crazy stories about, things that I've done but.
1: I am super jealous when I went in and went entrepreneurial I'm thinking oh my god like did every entrepreneur on the planet grow up in an entrepreneurial family so that they were discussing this stuff at the table and I was never discussing this stuff (laughs) at the table and I missed out and all I know how to do is a job and I'm terrible at it and I'm way too crazy. My sister even fired me (laughs) like that. (laughs) I am so not employable. I make a great contractor. (laughs) Yes, so
0: many people are in that same boat. It really is. There's a mindset, I think, for people that are true entrepreneurs. And I think there's various pathways in, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a one size all fits path into entrepreneurship. But I think many people, I mean, the desire, like I would ask you, what was your big reason? Why? Why did you make that choice around going into entrepreneurship? Because 90% of the population doesn't make that choice.
1: Oh yeah, when I was twenty three, I uh I was up in a new book in the Northwest Territories. It's kinda of funny. Um so I have a long I will do an a uh, show on that, because I think that would be, be a good one. <laughs> ding it's, ding uh, ding. <laughs> yeah, kinda do a show on my experience because um so at twenty-three my partner at the time said I need uh you obviously are not meant to be a dental assistant. So why don't we start up a company? And I went, Oh, what are we going to do? And he was like, well, there's this electronics store and we can do the bed and breakfast. And I'm like, Oh, yes, we can do a tanning salon and this would be awesome. So I didn't start with one business. I started with three businesses. I go to the BDC cause he made me go to the BDC to set up the, the loans and stuff. Uh-huh. And the poor guy's going, okay, so what do you see as your, um, uh, your main, your, your foresight? No, uh-huh. I like, um, the money that you're gonna make in the next year. Mm, this mm-hmm. is a good time today, I forgot this word. That's Where's right.
0: You're like, uh, your projected income? or projected your Projected income,
1: yep. Yeah. I keep thinking it's four, but it's not, it's projected income. And I'm like, well, how do I know? I've never run an electronics store before. I've never done anything in business before. How would I know that? And he goes, well, yeah. you just kind of figure out how much you're gonna sell and how do I know how much I'm gonna sell like. And finally, it's like, okay, so you want me to make up a bunch of numbers and look good? Yeah, basically. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I was like, and from there on in, I was like, I am hooked. <laughs> I <love that. laughs>
0: I can You're like this do works. <laughs> I can do- Oh my gosh, that's hilarious! Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I got this.
1: Entrepreneurial world was oh so messed up, but oh my gosh, story, so, well, hilarious!
0: That's really funny. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
1: Yes, so you'd have cringed at the amount of lack of legal that went <laughs> into place. My poor entrepreneurial thing. But everybody got paid in the end, so it's all good. Oh, anyway. <laughs> hilarious!
0: So you are awesome. Uh, Any last words for our peeps? No, just, you know, rock on with your bad selves. Entrepreneurs are a really like a rare breed of people. And I just love them so much because I feel like it takes so much courage to really step out into the world and say like, here's what I'm gonna do and to work your tail end off to do it. And that's often what it takes. But like the quote that I love is entrepreneurs are the rare breed who, you know, avoid um, the 40 hour work week by working 80 hours a week, you know, something <laughs> exactly. like that. It's, it, and it's, I so relate a middle, to that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally, but I have a big heart for the amount of effort that it takes to create something and stick to that path. So, you know, I just want to give a big kudos to everybody who's on that path. Nice. Yes, we have a soft thought
1: for you. Yes, we awesome. do
0: all right thanks
1: michelle thanks heather this is michelle Nedelik. thank you for being with us if you have any ideas for our show or you'd like to be a guest on the show please email me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or connect with me on linkedin or facebook i'd love to hear from you thanks heather woohoo thanks thank you for listening to our show i am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.